0: Well, have you ever eaten a meal that was so satisfying that you said or even thought to yourself after you had this wonderful meal, maybe it was multiple courses, I don't know, three, four, five, six, I don't know, some of these meals could have so many different courses. Have you ever had a meal like that, that after you ate it, you thought to yourself or said even, I never have to eat a meal again. My whole life, that was so good. Now, now I'm not talking about when you were in college, maybe, and you were studying for finals, and you went out late and got pizza, or maybe after a ball game in the city, or after a concert in the city, that you went to late night fast food and ate some greasy stuff, and you ate way too much because you were hungry, and you felt sick. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a meal that was so good, so satisfying, so enjoyable. You're just like, I don't ever have to eat again. It was so good. Or have you ever been on a date where everything just seemed to go perfectly? You might be here with that date, so pay attention here. There were no awkward moments or pauses. No spilled drinks at the dinner table. Everything went better than expected, and everything was just great. And you were thinking to yourself, I have reached the pinnacle of romance, and you thought, I'm in love, I'm so content, and I'm satisfied. Or Have you ever had a vacation where everything you planned to the T actually, actually happened? Everything you put on your day planner to the time, to the... Even if you planned like, you know, overplanned with huge expectations like the Griswolds and you, you had these high expectations, but everything just seemed to be met. Everything went well. The relationships were perfect. You, you, your spouse was happy. Your kids got along the whole time and, and listened and engaged. I mean, that's the kind of vacation to be excited about. And you might be thinking... Man, that was good. That was a spot on vacation, just as I planned. I've reached satisfaction. That's as good as it gets. Have you ever had a job? You maybe have had many jobs in your life, done many different tasks and things, and you did a lot of different jobs, you know, for the glory of God. You you went, you were there. You clocked in and you clocked out, you were there. But that was just kind of a job. I'm not talking about a job like that. I'm talking about a job or something that was so fulfilling to you that you loved it, you were happy with the compensation, you were happy with your coworkers, it was meaningful, it was great, and you thought, this is it. I've reached satisfaction. Maybe it's almost my dream job or situation. It's great. Now, we've all had different experiences like this to one degree or another. And I suppose that some of you may not have any good memories like this. And that's just sad to hear, but for many of us, or most of us even, will have some variation of a good memory in the past that, that just went so well. These things are common to man. These experiences, we all have different desires and emotions and appetites and needs and things of that nature. And these experiences, you see, they're just common to man. You want to know what else is really common in all of these situations for each of us? We have all experienced the great and obvious letdown after these wonderful experiences of life, haven't we? After that great meal... The next day, what happens? You get hungry again, and you need to eat again. That one perfect date will not suffice. You will want to create other occasions to go out with that significant other or your spouse. That You're going to want more of that. That vacation, no matter how wonderful it is, it's not going to last. It's not going to last forever, and in fact, you might go the rest of your life trying to recreate that perfect moment that probably won't happen, but you're going to want to go on another vacation. Why? Because none of that is going to ultimately fully satisfy you. You're going to kind of want more in that way. I don't even care if you've reached your dream job and your dream career. In a fallen world that we live in, there will be challenges for sure, just like anything else in life. None of these things will ever fully satisfy But here's the thing, they were never meant to fully satisfy you, ever. There's nothing that can do it, no experience that could get us that full satisfaction. Only a single person will be able to meet all your needs and longings. And only one person, for that matter, will be able to do that, for we're going to see in our passage That Jesus really is that satisfaction, that bread of life. The only solution to the perpetually, over and over again, unsatisfied. We could run around our whole lives, and we will run around our whole lives, seeking satisfaction in other things. Other lesser breads, so to speak. And we're going to be disappointed every single time. But not so. If we find our satisfaction in Jesus, the bread of life, not physical bread, don't even think communion this morning as it relates to this passage, which communion of course represents Jesus, but that's not what he's talking about in this very important passage of scripture. What we're going to be seeing is that the person and work of Jesus Christ is the only solution The only satisfaction for us. And we're going to walk through this passage of John 6, as you see on the screen, using three C's for our outline. And if you know me, you know that I don't always use alliteration like this. But when I do, I hope it's going to be memorable for us. So here they are. Here are the three C's. I want us to check, come, and cling. Check your motives. Come to Christ, cling to grace. So let's see it in point number one, in that first C, check your motives. Turn with me and your Bibles to John chapter six, and while we're going there, I'll catch us up on the context here um, up front. As I've hinted, this passage is the bread of life discourse, or the bread of life teaching, where Jesus calls himself Just that. What does he call himself? The bread of life. Jesus, you see, prior to this in John, before John 6, had fed 5,000 men and many more women and children with the miraculous multiplication of the fish and the loaves. You know that story, right? A miraculous, amazing Multiplication of limited resources to feed the masses. Jesus is amazing. And then after that, after this miraculous need was met, the disciples were out on the water in a storm at night. And guess what? They left without Jesus, but somehow Jesus met them out in the storm. Only Jesus could walk on water like that. Jesus met them in the storm and he cared for them and helped them in that moment. And this is all before this passage. And what we see here in all this is the crowds are fed. They were looking for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus for more food, more miraculous things. If you got fed on a big day like that, you were hungry, there was no food, and, and, and someone came and created a miracle, wouldn't you be going after them too? In that context, that's what they were doing. But the people you see, they knew that Jesus did not go out with the disciples. They were looking all for him. They were taking boats out to sea to find him um, because they wanted to see them. They wanted to see Jesus. And that leads us to our passage here in John chapter 6 and verse 22 to, to pick up on the context. Here it is. It says in verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Check your motives. Do you see what just happened there in that passage with all the walking or running around that Jesus was doing on the sea as he meets his disciples and things of that nature. Multiple boats go out looking for this wonderful miracle-making Jesus. And when they found him, they're puzzled. How How did he get there? He saw the disciples, and Jesus wasn't with them. We're talking about Jesus, the one who walks on water. We're talking about an amazing Jesus. They were seeking him for food. That was their motives. I want us to check our motives for seeking Jesus today as well. Last week in our uh, sermon on Christian friendships, we spent some time, a lot of time, thinking about exactly what a Christian was and wasn't or or what a Christian is is actually and, and, and isn't. We saw that there is a category of people who say that they're interested in Jesus, right? But they're not genuine believers. They're not born again. They're not transformed. I think we may see an illustration here of these people in our passage, at least initially. Did you see it? Ah, What were these crowds after in Jesus, really? What do they want? They were coming to Jesus, not because they necessarily loved him and saw him as the Messiah who was going to take away their sins, but they came to him, why? To get some more food. That's why they were after him. You think Jesus, you think seeking Jesus for a meal ticket Is a genuine motive for real believers? I mean, if that's the main thing, is that the motive? Seeking what he can give you, give him the food? Not not at all. Jesus didn't come to have his people, to, to bring people to him so that they can get bread and fish whenever they demanded to meet their belly's needs whenever they wanted. He didn't come for that, but he came to take away his people's sins but it seems like they're not interested in Jesus in that way, in this pursuit of him. And Jesus calls them out on it. You see that? (laughs) At the end of our text, he says, I know why you came. It's for the food. And you might think that Jesus would be flattered by people getting in boats and searching all over him. You got the search party, where is he? There's this huge hoopla. All this going on, all to find Jesus. You think that he might be all excited about that because he's so popular that everybody's going through all these lengths to find him. But do you see, Jesus wasn't flattered by the search party, was he? And he calls them to the carpet, didn't he? Here's my question for all of us today. Why do you, why do we seek Jesus? Why? Why? What are your motives? Are you at church simply because it's a community expectation of you? It's what we do. Or because the family expects it of you? Maybe because it seems like a nice influence for the children, or maybe because your spouse would kill you if you didn't come. Or you've heard a preacher talk about this whole hell thing and certainly don't want to go to hell, so you seek Jesus to kind of get out of jail in that way. I mean, we need to check our motives. Why do we seek Jesus? They matter. We need to think about what our motives are actually pointing to because Jesus is not interested in getting bandwagon followers seeking what they can get from him. Now, you might get lots of benefits out of Jesus and being involved in the church and We even saw in friendships, the community, and all the wonderful things last week. It's not wrong to appreciate those benefits or even, I mean, none of us want to go to hell for punishment. It's not wrong to to love and seek Jesus so that we might not experience judgment. These things aren't all bad, but if you are seeking the benefits without the Savior, you're just like those who wanted bread but didn't love the Savior. Do you see that? Check your motives. Do you love the... Savior here with us. Many of you know my testimony and how I once said that I was a Christian. I even thought I was a Christian. But I didn't love the Savior. I didn't see the Savior as my only solution to my problem of sin. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought it was all good. I didn't glory in my Redeemer as the song goes. Do you? Check your motives. Because Jesus is the real deal. And you want to get this Jesus right. You don't want to have the wrong motives with him. In fact, we're going to see here in verse 27 right now that we're talking about the issue of eternal life as it relates to these motives. It matters. Look at John 6, 27. It says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Did you see that contrast there so clearly? They wanted more fish and loaves. They wanted food that perishes. Jesus instructs them, don't come after that. But come after the kind of food that lasts. Lasts longer than the greatest meal that you could ever imagine or that you've ever had certainly lasts longer than these fish and loaves that were already all gone, no matter how miraculous the multiplication of them were. Jesus shows the crowds clearly that he is the real deal and that he is the bread of life that provides eternal satisfaction and eternal life. And God the Father has set him, his seal upon the Son. There's nothing better than that. You want to know if what Jesus did and who he was was good enough? The Father set a seal on him. Now that's something to pursue. That's a kind of approval that we, we would need. The Father saying, yes, what Jesus did. That's it. So come to Jesus in this way is a matter of eternal life if you come, or eternal life or eternal death for those who, who don't come to him. This is serious. And this leads us to our second point. And number two, come to Jesus. So we saw, check your motives. And if we're not supposed to seek Jesus for perishable foods, and if that's a wrong motive, how do we get this imperishable food? Come to Jesus. Let's see it in our Bibles at John 6, 28 through 34. Now for this, then they said to him, we must, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You see, the people had the right question here, didn't they? They wanted to know what they must be doing to be doing the works of God. They wanted to know what they must be doing to be saved. That's a good question to ask. Have you ever asked that question? If so, what was the answer that you gave to that? Is it, well, I'm basically a pretty good person or better than most, you know, in my book? Or I go to church. I come from a Christian family. Is that that your answer? What's your answer? There's no better question than that. And there's no more urgent answer that we all need to know. Because the wrong answers, you see, they won't do. Just like the wrong motives won't do. The people had the right question and even supposedly wanted the bread Jesus was talking about. Or did they really? Where were they really at? Jesus gives a Very basic and straightforward answer, saying that the way to be saved, the way to do the works of God, to please God, to be right with God, is to do what? He said simply in the text, you see it right there, he says that you believe in him whom he has sent. Isn't that what we've been seeing in our Galatians series all along? We are justified or declared righteous before God, not by our works, but by what? Faith alone in Jesus alone. Or by believing in Jesus alone, whom? What? The Father has sent, who has sent his approval on. The one who was sent. That's Jesus. Church. Don't you love how the Bible coincides in all these different places pointing to the one plan of salvation all along? There's not different messages of the gospel, but all pointing to Jesus. Every single place is scripture pointing to the Jesus, whether it's Galatians or whether it's John 6, pointing to Jesus. God sent his son into the world years ago. That's what we celebrate on Christmas in the Incarnation. And this sent one is the fully divine and fully human son of God, Jesus Christ, who we believe in and worship with all our hearts. Do you believe in this Jesus? Not the Jesus of your own imagination and desires. Not the Jesus who gives you whatever you want on demand. Not the Jesus of the cults. Not these false Jesuses, but the real Jesus. Do you believe this real Jesus? You see that the people, after Jesus answering these things, had the nerve to ask for more signs. As if the feeding of the multitudes wasn't enough. They even appealed to Moses and the manna out of heaven as a kind of sign that they were looking for from him. Jesus is like, it's funny that you should bring that up. Oh, by the way, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. It's a perfect illustration that you bring up. I am the true bread that's come down from heaven. But unlike the manna, he says, the manna that's spoiled, the manna that was eaten over and over again, and even made people resent that manna, I loathe that worthless food, they said as they grumbled. And they got sick of it. It wasn't enough. It never was enough. It never will be enough, Jesus said. That he was like the manna and that he came down from heaven. But unlike the manna in that he actually satisfies. What are you looking for? For your soul's satisfaction what is your longing what are your hopes and dreams what do you live for and what can't you live without is it your stuff your relationships your job your pursuit of the week- weekend and entertainment and fun what are you longing for be honest with yourself what do you continue to pursue without ever being fully satisfied over and over and over again? Kind of going back to the well, so to speak. What is it that you long for? It might be some of those good moral pursuits that I've mentioned before. But it also might be some bad and sinful pursuits as well. A kind of pursuit of pleasure at all costs. A gratification for your every want, lust, and desire. What is it that you are pursuing? Whether it's the good stuff like family and work and vacations and good non-sinful things. Or the bad stuff like sinful lusts and passions and these types of things. Either way, all of those things will never ultimately satisfy you. And all of those things will always leave you wanting more. never being quenched. Like the man stranded in the desert, searching for water with parched mouth about to die, all those other pursuits, if you're pursuing them in this way, if you're pursuing them in idolatry in this way, they will never satisfy. Only Jesus provides the living water. Only Jesus provides the bread of life. And it's by coming to him in faith that we can receive it to our everlasting eternal prophet nothing better than that but how do we get that bread we come to jesus in faith we trust jesus alone for our salvation we believe in him let's see it clearly from our text so we can no, beyond a shout of it out, how we come to Jesus, how everybody comes to Jesus. Look at John 6 and verse 35. It says this Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you see that? Coming to Jesus is believing in Jesus, not just thinking he's cool or simply saying his name. But seeing this true Jesus who came to take away his people's sins. Who came to go to the cross. Let's see it later in John 6 to make this connection to the cross. In John 6 and verse 51, it says this. Skip down a little bit. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my Flesh. you see there that the giving of Jesus' flesh is the death of Christ for believers? And the eating of Jesus is metaphorical here, pointing to the necessity of coming to Jesus through faith, of believing the gospel. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian here, then please, whatever you do, whatever you do, Do Turn away from all those worthless, untrue bread and means and seeking of satisfaction that will never bring you that full happiness and joy. Put it aside. It's not going to satisfy you. Come to Jesus. Be reminding that it is Jesus alone who satisfies in that way. Turn from all those other worthless bread. It's not going to cut it. And dear unbelieving friend who may be here with us. If you've not ever come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I implore you now. Come to Jesus by believing that Jesus alone has given his flesh to be broken for you. So that you might have eternal life if you would just believe in him. If you haven't placed your faith in Him, if you've never done that, maybe the Lord is working in your heart right now. Maybe He's moving you. Maybe, he's, maybe now is the time to trust in this Savior. Maybe now is the time to turn away from the worthless bread to the bread of life. But you might be thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I've had too many bad things happen in my life. I've messed up too much. I've neglected God too many times. My response to you here and Jesus' response to you here might surprise you. And this I would say to you, in this situation, even here right now, you can't. You can't come to Jesus. But, by the grace of God and working of God alone, Only through the working of God in miraculous ways would any of us come. If he's working, if God is working in your heart and eyes and ears and mind right now, don't delay, don't push it aside, come to Jesus. We need him. He works through us. It means that he's calling you. He's calling you home, prodigal. He's calling you from your secret pursuits of sin and wickedness and unbelief to an actual savior of sinners, of you and me and people who need Jesus. Come to him. He's calling you to come. Where are you right now? The crowds were seeking Jesus with the wrong motives. Are you like them? They just came to Jesus for the wrong ways. What does Jesus say when they come to him? This is where they're at. He says in verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. That's where they were at. He said, You see me with your eyes, and you seek me for more food, for what I can do for you. But you don't believe. Is that you today? Is it? You would think that the Savior would be distraught at this point. The idea that the crowds were coming to him and going through all this work and boats and standing before him and interested in him, but then they get there and they're just a bunch of faithless people looking for a handout and a meal. That's all that they wanted. But how does Jesus respond? He doesn't respond with doubt and cower in the corner or anything like that. What does he do? What does Jesus say to them? And their wrong motives and their wrong coming to him. This leads us now to our third point for this. And number three, cling to grace. Our third C, cling to grace. Look with me now in your Bibles at John 6 and verse 37 for this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. If you are one of the ones who has not come to Christ, who's come with wrong motives, who's not believed in this way, I challenge you. Cling to this grace. Come and cling to grace. Come to Christ. Cling to Christ. And even if you are here and you're a believer, which I know of many of you, even if you're a Christian, I call you, I implore you, cling to grace. You need it. I need it. We need it more and more. Do you see the personal, loving, and purposeful work of Jesus at work here in this passage? John 6 is amazing. I want us to see it, not just skip over it. Oh, who knows what all that's about? No, I want us to see what it means because it has direct import to all of our lives and hearts. It's so important. The Father has given His Son... Tell you, believer, dear loved one, and the son would leave his heavenly abode, take on human flesh, he was sent to rescue us. Believer, did you know that? Did you know that the father sent his son for you? Christian, if you are a Christian here, that means that he chose you and he sent his son directly for you. That is good. The dear children of God that the father gave to his son would actually be those who come to him in faith in Christ. If you're a believer here today, look at what God has done for you in Christ. If you're a believer here today, it's not because of your own ingenuity and smartness and morality and how wonderful you are. Not at all. It's not about you in that way. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good God is in doing this amazing thing for you. It's because the Father has given you to his son. He put his seal on him. He did it for you. He gave you, Christian, to the son. And then Jesus actually went willingly to die for you. I want us all to cling to this grace wherever we are. In your doubts and fears, cling to this sure reality that the father gave you to his son and he actually did come for you. We ask our boys, sons, simple tasks oftentimes, and you know what? They just sometimes don't comply. It takes a few times and engagement and things. Every parent knows that kind of thing. But the father, you see, The father, God the father, sent his son. And the son, you see, went willingly, obediently, confidently for you. The father says, go get him, son. And the son went for you. And not only did the father give you his son, Jesus, but he gave you to him. In him for you to secure your future resurrection. Did you see it in the text? As Easter's coming up, did you see it? The passage that we just read said it clearly. That is what God's purpose in sending his son for you. And that, that is what we see that we should be, that you should be raised up on the last day. Why? Because he sent his son for you. Both the father and the son. It's their good plan for you, Christian. Christian. Is there any better news than that? I mean, tell me. Talk to me after church. If you have better news than that, I'd like to hear it. Because that would be some amazing news. I don't think you have it. I don't think there's anything better than that. Oh, I've experienced it. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced God in this way? Do you know what it is to have your sins forgiven? Do you know what it is to have the hope of eternal life? Do you know what it is to have your resurrection day just as sure as Jesus' resurrection day that happened in the past? Do you know what it's like? On my own, church, oh, on my own, I would have abandoned ship long ago. I would not be in the faith today if it wasn't for God sending his son for me, and the same goes for you. Glory in that. See the connection. Give him the credit. But how do you think all these people now responded to Jesus' audacious claims here? And these were very big claims he was making. You saw it already. They were following him for more food. And then he drops this whole bomb of God's amazing grace on them and tells them like it is. What did they say? Did they appreciate it? Were they all excited and happy and praise God? Were they recognizing it? Well, let's see it from verses 41 and 42. 42. From our text in John chapter 6, it says this. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? You see, they didn't believe in Jesus. They just saw him as an ordinary man. Born Joseph and Mary. They didn't worship him. They didn't recognize him as the unique God-man that he was, fully God and fully man. They replied in unbelief. How did Jesus respond to their unbelief? This is interesting, church. Pay attention. How did Jesus respond to their hardened hearts in unbelief? He says in verses 43 through 47, as he continues, he says this. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. They were grumbling about Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent to me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Did you see how Jesus responds to their unbelief and grumbling and complaining and gossiping and misrepresenting of him? They were just all upset with Jesus and not happy with him and, you know, wondering what in the world he was saying about him being the bread of life. They weren't getting it. They were blind to it. They didn't have eyes to see this or hearts to hear it. What does he do? What does he respond? He he says to them, stop grumbling and complaining and gossiping about me. You can't come to me anyways. Wow, I mean, like that's a pretty bold response. Because if they had been drawn, they would have come. This is his point to them. But, right, we know this from John 3. You cannot come to me and believe in me unless you're born again, Nicodemus. You should know this. You need spiritual life. You can't come without it. How could they believe? If their hearts were hardened at Jesus, they couldn't. They were hard-hearted. They didn't love him. They didn't see him in his glory. And no one can. No one can except by the grace of God. If you do, it's because you've clinged to grace. Cling to grace, every one of us. We need to cling to grace. Unmerited favor. Not our own earnings and workings, but the grace of God. The gospel. Look at John ten twenty five through 30 for this. Jesus answered them. Look at how he responds. Later on in in the book, he says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Verse 26 of chapter 10. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Do you hear Jesus' words? Why don't these people hear and believe? Why are they just looking for bread? Why are they just looking for miracles? Why are they not changed? Why do they just see Jesus as just some other... Jewish man who's there born of human... Why? 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 Well, the text clearly says here, even in John 10, and we see it in John 6, is because they are not his sheep. And his sheep, given by the Father, are the believers who hear his voice and follow Jesus. If you're hearing his voice now, if you're a believer, it means you're his sheep. He's got you. Do you hear his voice, church? Do you believe this gospel? If you do, that means you're his Sheep. And it is good to be God's sheep. It's good to be gotten by Jesus. The sheep hear his voice. Believers hear Jesus, follow Jesus. Unbelievers hear Jesus, give Jesus the stiff arm, reject him. Do you see the difference? And no one, as we just saw in John 10, not even the devil himself, not even the host of demons, Not your worst enemy here on this earth. Not the worst situation that you could ever go into. Not a really corrupt government. Not a really uncertain time. Not wars or rumors of wars. Nothing can snatch you out of the safe hands of Jesus. Amen. He's got you. He's got every one of you if you're his sheep. Nothing could snatch you from his hands. Who can pluck us from the Savior's hands? I'd like to see you try. I've talked about Michael Jordan and how he's got good ball skills and he can hold the ball, he can shoot. No one can steal from him. No one can steal from Jesus. Jordan? Oh, Jordan's nothing compared to Jesus. He's got you in his hands. Nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hands. I hope you see in all the turmoil how good of news that is, dear Christian. Did you see that? Are you moved by that? He's got you. He's got you. This should comfort you, believer. This is not a controversial thing. This is a wonderful thing. With all this turmoil, all the things that are unstable right now, this should comfort you like no else. Better than savings accounts. Better than people saying nice things to you. Better than a promotion at work. Better than that, whatever. Nothing is better than this. He's got you in his hands. And that is the answer, isn't it, church? The answer to the perpetually unsatisfied. Now, you may have looked in all the wrong places all your life. I want you to land right now here this morning and every other morning. I want you to land back in the Savior's hands. I want you to come back to him. I want you to see your hope in that. And I want us to close here in verses 48 to 51 to remind us of this reality that we've been seeing all throughout John 6 so far. Look at verse 48, and it says this. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is what? My flesh. Jesus is the bread of life, church. Jesus is the only solution to your perpetual unsatisfaction, satisfaction, to your problem. He's the only answer to that. Believe in him. And you will never perish. Believe in him. And you'll never run dry. And thirst and hunger spiritually again. Because he is your full solution and satisfaction. So three C's church. Check your motives. Come to Christ. And cling to grace. Let's pray. Father we are so thankful for this wonderful good news gospel. Lord would you encourage your sheep today to see the glorious good news and you lift them up, lift up their weary hearts to trust you, to long for you, to be thankful to you, to be built up in you. We pray, Lord, for those who are not yet a part of your sheepfold, those who have never believed in your son, Jesus, who've never experienced the kind of certainty that it is to have, the Je- have your son, Jesus, holding them in their hands. Oh, God, would you open their hearts? Would you save them? Would you bring them to Jesus, the only solution? We say this in Jesus' name, amen.